That's right, church. We are the movement. My name is Mitch. I'm one of the pastors here, and thank you for, for being here this morning. Uh, today is Mother's Day, and like Pat said, I know that this day brings joy to some. It brings sorrow to some, but I just want to a quick story about my mom. Uh, growing up, we didn't, we really didn't have much. I grew up in, in North Denver, and uh, and and so my my sister was a big InSync fan growing up. Anyone else big InSync fan growing up? All right, and I see you. The rest of you ladies, you're lying. If it's Backstreet Boys. All right. I know that discipleship takes some time. That we need to really grow into our love for in sync. So my sister was a big in sync fan, and uh, she she saved up all her money and bought you you think in sync thing. She bought a pet goldfish. Uh, so she bought a bowl, the rocks, little castle, and goldfish. And of course, she named that goldfish Justin. And so she. Love Justin. Every single breakfast morning, she would feed the fish, talk to the fish, play the fish, uh, terrible pop music. She loved this fish. And I remember one day I was uh, sitting down at breakfast eating my uh, Cheerios, and I look over, and Justin is belly up in the fish. Is this? And my mom needs to action like any good mom she takes Justin out of the fish tank and gives Justin little goldfish CPR. I don't know how this works, but this is what she did. Put Justin pushing because I don't know what that fish needs. But then dunked it back in probably five minutes. To me, it was five minutes. Here I am eating the Cheerios. Mom trying to resuscitate this fish because she knows how much my sister loved this goldfish. Finally, my mom, if you knew her, uh, gets really frustrated, lets out a word that is not appropriate in church, and slams Justin onto the table. Justin springs to life, starts flopping around, and she puts Justin back in the fish tank. We didn't tell my sister about this for quite a while, and I'm using this one. All right. Um, so live stream, you heard nothing I just said. Trust me. It I was terrified of the power that she had. I don't know what was running through her veins, but my mom is awesome. My parents didn't didn't raise me in church. Uh, every every time I got to go to church, it uh, you know we we sat there. I sang songs that I didn't know. I I heard messages, and it seemed like the church was trying really hard, but it felt. Um, I felt less than what I anticipated. If I had this kind of power at home, I anticipated something a little bit more from church. Whenever I went to church, it felt like something was missing. And I, I liked Jesus. I liked grace. I, I liked all of that. But as a young person, it felt like something was missing in his church. As a young person, I saw a lot of good intentions. I saw a lot of uh, really good intentions, but, but really as a young person, I was bored, I was disconnected, I was annoyed, um, and everything seemed safe. But when, when, I read the, when I read the Bible, I saw a different Jesus. I liked the Jesus that I saw in the Bible. I didn't like the Jesus that was being preached in the church. I, I read about this Jesus, and there was nothing safe about him. 
this Jesus who went around and he healed lepers, this Jesus who befriended prostitutes, this Jesus who was radical and edgy. And then I got to church and it was, here's your bulletin. We're going to sing these three songs and go out and nothing in your life was changed. I looked at, at some people in church who were narrow-minded, some people who were judgmental, some people who were hypocritical. And then I looked at Jesus who loved those who hated him, who went to the cross for those who hated him. He blessed those who persecuted. He welcomed those that religion rejected. And my problem started when I started reading the Bible. Church then paled in comparison to all of this. And so our dream here is, is not a monument, it's a movement. Monuments you go to and you visit. I was in Washington, D.C. not too long ago. There are a lot of monuments that you go to and you visit about dead people and you learn some history, right? For me, that was what church was for the first 13 years of my church experience. It was show up, hear about a, a, a dead guy who maybe inspired some people, and that was it. Maybe you leave inspired. But church is not a monument. Church is a movement. Church is a movement of God. And that's what Acts talks about. This is what the book of Acts talks about. And so this is our dream where everyone is welcome, where everyone is needed, where everyone comes in here and they leave changed. And then when they leave, they are sent to be on mission in their communities. This is what I see in the scripture. Our mission is to lead people to experience new life in Jesus in Denver as it is in heaven. The, a church that is not gathered around a service, not gathered around show up, sing some songs, feel good about yourself, no, a, a gathering not, not gathered around a teacher and an inspiring word, a gathering not gathered around what you can do, but not gathered around a band, but a gathering gathered around Jesus, and we leave radically changed. And when we come in here, we're not coming in here to receive something. We're coming in here to be something. We're a movement of God. And then we leave radically changed. In Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, Drew touched on this last week, that after the resurrection of Jesus, that the, the, the church started getting together. And there, the first thing that happens there in Acts chapter 2 is this event called Pentecost. Pentecost is this this wild event where, where people from all different nations come together and they start speaking in these tongues. The Holy Spirit comes and they start speaking in these tongues and everyone's able to understand each other. They're able to speak in each other's languages. And what's amazing about this, this story in Pentecost is actually a reversal of something that happened in Genesis. It's a reversal of Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, men come together, and they start to build up this tower in order to make their name great, and God comes down, and he confuses their language, and he spreads them all over the earth. And so what happens at Pentecost is these people from all over the earth come together, the Holy Spirit comes, and they start to proclaim the glories of God to each other. It's a reversal of what happened in the beginning. This is an amazing event. And then Peter preaches. He preaches that this message that if you read it, like that would not be a viral sermon today. He's talking about darkness in the clouds and death and all 
it's not, it's not a great message if you're rating it on like sermonfinder.com. It's not a great one. But he preaches this message and 3,000 people are saved. And it says, day by day, the Lord added to the number those who are being saved. And then it says this, and you can start to see God's plan for the church. And at the end of chapter 2, it says this. If you're following along, you can scan the, the code in front of you uh, to follow along in the Version Bible app. But we're Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 this morning. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the, the breaking of bread and prayers. All right, if you're going to devote yourself to things in church, that's what you want to devote yourself to. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Talk about a miracle, right? All right. And they were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. My problem started when I started reading the scripture because I saw this kind of awe in church. I saw this and I'm, I'm saying my, my experience in church doesn't match up what I'm reading in scripture. When I read this, I think all of us Believers who have been following Jesus, we read this and we say, I desire that. I desire to have all things in common. I desire to have this kind of impact. I desire to see Forefront be a place where the Lord adds to our number day by day those who are being saved. I desire that, but our experience doesn't match up with what we desire. I love what Craig Rochelle, Craig Rochelle reinterprets this passage or, or maybe interprets it with kind of a, an American lens. Check out what Craig Rochelle says, uh, how he redefines or reinterprets uh, Acts chapter 2. He says, they, devoted, they were devoted to their comfort, happiness, personal goals, dreams, and bucket lists. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused on themselves. Very few of the believers were together, and when they were, they fought about stupid things. If they sold anything, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, and depressed. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few lives were changed. I believe that God obviously has something better for his church. God has something better for his church. But if we want a different result, we need a different mindset. So today I'm going to talk about three different mindsets that we can observe from Acts chapter 2 and apply to our lives today. The first one, and Center Church, this is, this is kind of a recycled message, okay? So if you're like, this sounds familiar, it, there's some other stuff, all right? There's some surprises in the box, all right? So we preached on this three weeks ago, but just in case you're like, hey, I can leave now. Nope, don't leave. There are surprises to come. The first point is that we will be a devoted church. We will be a devoted church. Check out what it says in 242. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the, 
and to prayers. One of the most important words in the New Testament is this word devoted. It's this word devoted. It's this Greek word proskaterio. It means to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit, persistent, ongoing, obstinate devotion. This ongoing, persistent devotion. Now, I, I, I've been in church a long time, and there are very few people that I've met in the Christian faith that I could say are obstinate, ongoing, persistent, devoted to their faith. I know a lot of people who like Jesus. I know a lot of people who go to church. I know a lot of good Christians. But do we know that many devoted people? It's this ongoing, devoted pursuit of Jesus. If you want to look different to the world, be devoted to something. Be devoted to anything. Be devoted to Jesus. Check out what it says in 43. And, and it says, and awe fell. Why did awe fall, right? Why, why were people in awe of their devotion, right? Could, you look at that and you say, well, couldn't they, like, they're just reading the Bible and they're praying. And, like, why did, why did awe fall on on everyone, why did awe fall on everyone who saw this? Because it was different. It was different. They, they, they've seen stuff like this before, but this kind of real devotion is rare. I think in our, um, in our situation today, in our culture today, we view Jesus uh, much like we would view a mascot. And I have, uh, I have one of my favorite mascots, maybe the, the best mascot in uh, all of sports right here. His name is Rocky. By the way, go Nuggets. Uh, yeah, if you're a Lakers fan, um, yeah, uh, I have a bad history. We can, we can pray together after this. Um, what, what does a mascot do, right? A mascot hypes up the crowd. A mascot gets people excited, but a mascot is not in the game. A mascot really has no impact on the game at all. And what we do in our culture today is we treat Jesus like a mascot. We're very excited about Jesus on Sundays. We cheer for him on Sundays. We put his stickers on our car. We wear his logo around our necks. We give to his charity. We are great fans of Jesus, just like we're great fans of Rocky. We're great fans of the Nuggets. Once a week, we, we trot Jesus out to, to cheer for us, to, to give us vision, to reassure us that we are somebody. Uh, we invite him to celebrate our victories, and we think we are destined to win. He lifts our spirits. He rebuilds our confidence. He gives us enthusiasm to make it through the week. He energizes us for a while. Then, for the rest of the week, He's relegated to the sidelines as our figurehead. Our cheers are for him, but our victories are for us. And Jesus is our mascot. I love what Kyle Eidelman says in his book, Not a Fan. He says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians, but aren't actually invested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not so close that it requires anything from them. This is how mascots work. They pump up the crowd, but they never make a difference. Mascots, if you've noticed, they don't have a voice, and they have no impact in the game. They are a character of the real thing. 
believe that that's what Jesus is in our culture. He's a character. We wear his cross around our neck. We cheer for him. We sing his songs. We, we get all excited about him. But do we really follow him? Are we in the game that he laid out for us to play? What Luke is talking about here is not a fan. It's a disciple. And a fan is not a disciple. We have a lot of things that keep us busy. We have a lot of things that we proscatario, a lot of things that we're devoted to. We have family, we have friends, we have sports, we have cool shoes, we have all sorts of things that we get really excited about. But how many things in your life would you say I am absolutely 100% devoted to? Whatever it is that is taking up the majority of your heart, the majority of your devotion, the majority of your finances, that is what you are devoted to. And I want to ask you, is that thing Jesus? So because of, Jesus, of, of who he is and uh, who Jesus is and because of what he's done, we will be a devoted church. Check out what, what he says next. We will be a united church. We will be a united church. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Can that happen today? I got one like half-hearted, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 it can, I, I think uh, over the last few years, the enemy has showed us exactly what needs to happen to divide his church. Just put a little politics in there, put a little controversy in there, and I don't want to get too controversial, okay, but one of these things right here has divided the church. And maybe when you see this, you say compassion. Maybe when you see this, you see safety. Whenever you see this, you see government control. What, what, whatever you see when you see this, what I could probably say is that most of us would be divided on our thoughts about this. And what the enemy has done over the past few years is he's used something silly like this to divide the church. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it over the past few years where something silly like a mask, something silly like politics has divided the church. What makes the church different? What makes the real church different? Check out 9 through 11. Now, now you, when you read this, you're going to say, Mitch, this doesn't make sense. It's just a bunch of countries. Let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me explain this. So, 9 through 11, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya that belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. Okay, how does this happen? People from all sorts of different countries, people from all sorts of different languages, people from all different race and economic backgrounds and religions and, and different, different genders. How does this happen where they all get together and they declare the mighty works of God? What would that look like right here? By the way, Denver is one of the most diverse cities in the United States, right? We should represent our community. What would that look like right here? Check out what they do. 
They say in their own tongues the mighty works of God. They have a unified mission. Yeah, they all have all these passions. Yeah, they have all these different things. One is Arab, one is is Cretan, one's Roman, one's Jew. Like they have political differences like crazy. One country oppressed another country. You know what? They say for the sake of the gospel, we're going to lay all of that aside. Not that I'm not passionate about that, but I'm passionate about the most important thing, that is Jesus. That they get together and they proclaim the mighty works of God. Here's what I believe. Let me go on a rant here. Here's what I believe. The reason we don't do this is because we've never experienced the mighty work of God ourselves. And so we have nothing to talk about. We're fans of Jesus. Go, mascot, go. Go, Jesus, go. I love singing about you on Sundays. I love devoting some money to your cause. I love being a fan of you. But we've never experienced the mighty work of God in our lives. Three different continents, different languages, genders, ethics, political views, race, ethnicity, income, and yet they had all things in common. How? Because they believed. They saw the one thing that mattered above any other thing. They saw the resurrected Jesus come to life, and that was the mighty work that they were talking about. They couldn't help but talk about it. They experienced something, and they couldn't help but talk about it. My fear is that too many people are fans of the mighty work of God, but have never experienced the mighty work of God themselves. You say the right thing, wear the right thing, vote the right way. But let me ask you this. When was the last time that you knew that you were acting out of the power of the Holy Spirit and not your own desires? You absolutely knew that you were acting out of the power of the Holy Spirit and not what you desired. How do you get there? How do you get to the point where you're acting out of the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to encourage you, try stepping out of your comfort zone into something new. Try telling a coworker about Jesus. Try doing something that you would never do. Go on a mission trip. Try going on a mission trip. Try giving generously. Remember, they sold their possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Check out verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. Oh, this is uh, 433. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. This is not the government meeting church. This is not welfare programs. This is the church stepping up and being the church. What would Denver look like? What What reputation would Forefront have in the community if we did this? Could you imagine We don't need government programs in Harvey Park because Forefront's stepping up and they're meeting the needs of their neighbors. What would that look like? What would in Denver, as it is in heaven, actually look like? This is what we do. This is church. And this is the the third thing that, that I have. This is the third thing that they did is that we will unapologetically share the love of Jesus. You see there in Acts, the believers, proscatario, the believers were so devoted. And then it says in 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day 
by day. How did, what did that look like? How did the Lord do this? By the way, it's the Lord who saves, right? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What were they doing? They were being obedient. They were just sharing what they've seen. Hey, I, I saw Jesus. He had breakfast with me. He rose from the dead. I don't, know, like, I, I don't know much more than that, but that is my story. That's all we have to say. And the Lord added to They were just obedient daily in sharing that message. They were devoted to it because the disciples lived it out when? Day by day. It doesn't say that the Lord added to their number every week, those who were being saved. It doesn't say that the Lord added to their service those who were being saved. It says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved because the disciples were in their community telling about this message of Jesus day by day. That it's not just one person on a Sunday morning preaching a message and people respond. It's the disciples of Jesus being devoted, not a fan, being devoted and going out and telling that message day by day because that message saves. That's the only message that can save. What would it look like if we did this every single day, every single week? We as a church will do anything short of sin to reach those who don't yet know Jesus. As long as people in our community are stuck in sex trafficking, we won't stop. As long as there are people in our community who are hungry, we will not stop. As long as there are kids in our community who do not have access to food, we will not stop. As long as there are those who are living in bondage, we will not stop. As long as there are people in our community who are addicted, we will not stop. As long as there are people here who have not yet heard the message of Jesus, we will not stop. And church, the only way to get there, the only way to reach these people to be devoted to the gospel of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this. Join in. I encourage you, do something crazy. I would love to get a bunch of text messages this week of a bunch of people who just did crazy stuff. Like, hey, I've never talked about Jesus before, but I just vomited this gospel all over my coworker. I don't know if I said the right thing, but Jesus and resurrection were in there. And like, I would love to receive that message, that, that, those messages this week. I would love for you to just try something, make mistakes, go out and do something because that's what the early church did. They just did it. And so, so I want to encourage you. I want, I want to encourage you to change the object of your devotion. Everything will change for you this week. I want you to encourage you to just take one step toward Jesus. Just one step toward devotion to Jesus this week. And I'm going to put a few things up on the screen. The first one is to, is to read God's Word. This is the only book in the history of the world that says that you are blessed when you read it. That you are blessed when you read it. So read it. That you are more blessed. This is the only book in the history of the world that says that when you read it, it will not return void. Read God's word. It's alive. It's active. Second one is to serve inside and outside the church. Not just serve inside the church. We're not just trying to build an industrial complex that just pumps out more people to serve here. We want you to serve outside the church. Uh, Pastor Kev and Rebecca went over to Coons Miller this week and served a bunch of teachers over there. We have opportunities for you to do that. Serve inside and outside the church. The third thing is do life in community. Be the church. Serve one another. Love one another. Give to one another. Be devoted to one another. 
be the community. Visit the sick. Get involved in local missions. The next one is give generously. Give generously. Why do I put that on there? Because I've noticed in my years in ministry that your heart will go where your money goes. Your heart will go where your money goes. And this is, I know this is my third week here, but listen, I don't really care if you give here. I just want you to give somewhere. I just want you to give somewhere because Scripture commands it. Scripture commands your, your generosity. And so where your money goes, that's where your heart will go. Pray often. Pray often. Pray for yourself. Pray for other people. Pray for miracles. If you pray for miracles, you know what? You're going to see miracles happen. We have a powerful God who lives within us. Pray for those miracles. See God move. And then the last thing, you want the rocket fuel in your faith? Tell other people about Jesus. Because when you t start to tell other people about Jesus, you're going to need all of these other things. When you start to tell other people about Jesus, all of a sudden your faith becomes really real. And you have to say, okay, do I really believe this? Am I really for this? Or am I just a fan? Am I just wearing the shirt? Or am I actually on the team? Am I actually making the moves? Tell others about Jesus. This is the rocket fuel of the faith. Fall in love with the work of God in his church. This is what Acts chapter 2 is all about. I love how Kyle Adelman, again, from this, this book, Not a Fan, says this. And we're going to close with this. Fans don't mind him doing a little touch-up work. But Jesus wants complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking tune-up. But Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans think a little makeup is fine, but Jesus is thinking makeover. Fans think a little decorating is required, but Jesus wants a, a complete remodel. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. Church, we are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. The church doesn't exist for us. We exist for the world. Church is not a place that we go, but it is who we are. And I encourage you, as we go through this series in Acts, just watch. Watch what God is going to do through the devoted, through those who are passionate. What can we do together? What can we do together as God's church? So I want to close with this. I, I, I know that this is a heavy message, and I know that this, for many of you, is your second time ever hearing from me, and I know that I just dropped a, a bunch of bombs. And so I just want to give you a time to respond. And so if you would, just, just bow your heads and close your eyes, and this is what I want you to do. I just want you to, to hold open your hands in front of you. And I want you to, to picture in your hands those things that you're devoted to, whatever that may be. can be a job, can be an idea, can be a person. I want to ask you, are you living your life with open hands? Are you really grabbing on and gripping on to those things? Because when we live our lives with closed hands, God can't put anything else in our hands. But when we live our lives and say, God, it's all yours. 
All of it is yours. I live my life in full devotion to you. We live our lives with open hands. We see that God can pour in those blessings. So with your hands just wide open, I just want to give you a few seconds to talk to him. Tell him what you're devoted to. And if you're willing to take that step, tell him that he is your number one devotion. Thank you.